Well, good morning, everyone. Once again, a massive, massive welcome, particularly if you're new or visiting, it's awesome to, to have you here. What a powerful start to the morning, hey? And you know, it's like, it's, it's through the song and through, you know, all of these different expressions that you hear the sounds of what it is that God was doing. And the sound isn't the music, hey? The sound that's coming forth from from His Spirit calling sons and daughters into the fullness of who He's called them to be, you know? And we heard that through the music. We heard it through the prophecy that God is is calling us as, as His people out of the world and to be this people of His own possession. And so, you know, it's it's such a powerful thing where you know, these times together aren't just one expression, they're multifaceted expressions of what of what God is doing. Hey, so thank you for, for joining and, and being part of what it is that the Holy Spirit is, is doing in all of us. Um, so for, the, for those of you who are relatively new, I thought just a quick introduction. My, my name's Sam, for those who I haven't met. My left here is, is Mel, um, and this is Chris. And so we're going to be we're making up part of the panel this morning, um, and after that, we're going to jump into groups and have have some discussion um, at, at your tables. But we've had a particularly powerful couple of weeks um, looking at two parables of Jesus. We've looked at the the parable of the ten virgins, and we've looked at the parable of the talents. Almost two two sides of of really what is the one coin where we see Jesus bringing to light his purpose and intention for us as the body. And I know for the, the feedback that I've had from some people is this is quite confronting, particularly if you've heard a gospel growing up that the message of Jesus is just about praying a prayer, forgiveness from sin, so that you can go to heaven when you die. And all of a sudden, we're starting to look at these parables that actually talk not about the lost and the saved, but about the, uh, about the church. And about these ten virgins, five who are wise and five who are foolish. Or about these three different people, all of which who are, are given a gift, but only some who actually respond in the way that Jesus is looking for. And ultimately what we see here is, is that God has given to us himself, and he's looking to see what, what have you done with what you've been given. This is no longer a matter of heaven or hell. It's actually a matter of entering into the promise that he has for us, entering into the fullness um, of, of the inheritance that we are um, to have as his children. So we're going to continue looking at that awesome theme tonight. Tonight. My goodness, we normally do the panels. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done that, just as what out there. <laughs> All right, I'm under the lights. I'm under pressure. <laughs> All right, this morning we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, particularly powerful passage of Scripture that really touches on the heart um, of the gospel and what God is, is looking to do in and through us. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'll just read through this. The title in the NASB is Paul Defends His Apostleship. It says this, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a poor virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior, the most uh, inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Massive verse A. In verse 2 it says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. 
And like I said, this touches on the heartbeats of the gospel. Like we've been looking at over the last few weeks, the, the, the context for the gospel is a marriage covenant between Christ and the church. And here Paul's revealing to us his heart for that covenant that God's established with him and with his brothers and sisters that make up part of this body. I love the way that it starts. He says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. What is he saying? He's saying, guys, bear with me a second because what I'm going to say to you could potentially sound outrageous, crazy, and you might just write me off as a nutter unless I give you this little disclaimer. Hey, just stick with me because what I've got to say to you is actually of vital importance for you. You know, what's interesting is that, you know, the context here is not dissimilar to so many other parts of the scripture. You know, to me, I might think, you know, if... if Anyone that was preaching the gospel had to put out a disclaimer to say, guys, we're going to talk about the bride of Christ today. We'd have to do a disclaimer like that almost every single time we preach and pretty much on every single page of the gospel because it's the context for the entire scriptures. So why is Paul having to put out this disclaimer to say, guys, stay with me? This could seem crazy. Because what we're about to see is not just a verbal declaration of the gospel, here's a man who lives and breathes from this reality. And he's saying, guys, it's not what I'm about to say, it's the intensity that I'm speaking from. It's not that I'm talking about the, the, the gospel being set in a marriage covenant, it's that my life is so consumed in this thing that you might, be, you might think I'm crazy and a nutter, not because of my interpretation, but because of my expression, because I'm so fervent, I'm so jealous, I'm so intense about this thing that you might think, whoa, hold on a second, was this supposed to be real? Was this supposed to change us? Were our lives supposed to be altered in response to the power of this gospel, this marriage covenant? And this, in, in, in my view, is what he's saying. He says, guys, stay with me. I'm so deeply passionate about this. And if you see what I see, you'll be passionate about it too. So stick with me until the morning star arises in your hearts, that the marriage covenant that I'm in and that I live from, you receive by revelation and you become the same kind of nutter that I am because you see what I see and you've been impacted and received the same gospel that I've received. And so that's the goal of our our times together is not that you just sit there, kick back and relax and hear from the panel. It's that you join with us. It's that through what you receive, you taste and you touch and you enter into yourselves so that you can have fellowship with us. You can have fellowship with Paul. You can have fellowship with Christ because you're participated in the gospel and not just in words. Hey, Paul says, my, my message didn't come to you in word only but in demonstration and power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So that's my prayer this morning, is that you hear and receive something that's from above so that you can taste and touch and join with us in fellowship. Is that cool? All right. So we've got our awesome panel here this morning who are going to take us through these, these verses. And I've got a series of questions. Let me just grab these out. A series of questions that we're going to work through. Um, and I feel like there's some awesome stuff that, um, that we're going to touch on. All right. So I've got here question number one. Paul says that he is jealous for the church with a godly jealousy. What is he jealous for the church to enter into? Mal, I don't know if you want to kick us off. What is Paul jealous for the church to enter into? Yeah, I'm going to take us straight to Hosea 3. This is what I was reading. Um, verse 19, it says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you, <laughs> repetitive, betroth uh, you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. And listen to this. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, and with oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her 
I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those people who were not my people, you are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. And so, like you say, Paul knows and has the knowledge, the godly knowledge and the jealousy and in his bones. He knows in his bones what God has always had in mind for his people. And that not only does God declare here his covenant through these vows, I will make you my people, I have betrothed you to me. We hear how heaven and earth are actually conspiring under God to make way for the bride to know the provision of God who loves her, the new wine and the oil, that heaven and earth daily, guys, for the church is providing for us to come into the revelation and the knowing that Paul knew of as this man prayed this morning, we are the bones of those bones coming together of a body, but but only if we know that we're a bone and we feel it in the bones of ourselves will we express, as Paul expresses, a jealousy to know this covenant love of the Father and, and how Paul comes across as, you know, the father-in-law that is so, his heart is to present this bride perfect and faithful. But faithfulness comes from the inside out. It's from our bones to know that we are the bone of his bone, the flesh of his flesh, that sanctified flesh. It starts from the inner. And so, so Paul is jealous and jealous for us to come to know this covenant marriage, this betrothal that is today, that is to be revealed today to our innermost being and for the future. Um, and it's, it's amazing that when we, when we know this knowledge and that it, it permeates our inner being, it changes us from the inside out, and that's what the true gospel does. And... Um, and that's what uh, you know. Our God offers us is a permanence in love. He doesn't change. The covenant is the covenant, and His heart is for us to know today, the betrothal and the revelation of that. Yeah. It's such a powerful. It's on. It's on there. It's such a powerful scripture. That whole thing about Paul's passion. You know, that he's jealous for us. Now, that's not a worldly jealousy. Uh, that's a jealousy of something or other. But a heavenly, a, a divine jealousy is one that is always for you because you, he has so much for us. In fact, uh, in James, it says, in James chapter 4, verse 5, it says, He, which is speaking about God, jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Isn't that beautiful? God's desire and jealousy for us is to come into everything that he has for us to come into. And it's such a powerful thing. It's, it's just such a purity about the whole thing about wanting his children to come in. And Paul um, desires that because as a father, he's got the father's apostolic heart for his children. And he's seen and he's participated of and been uh, you know, living in this whole reality and he sees his children not living in that reality, and his desire is to see his children coming into the fullness of it. And so that's the, what the Father's heart is, and it's the heart of what this place is here, to see everyone come into all that God has for us. And I love what uh, Mel brought about Hosea. I love Hosea, because when I looked it up, you know, it, it marries off too with chapter 2. And chapter 2 is such a beautiful chapter about um, uh, the bride of Christ, and being prepared, and, and how God poured out all his blessing upon his children, but they didn't recognize, they didn't see or understand that it came from him. And yet they took it as part of the worldly things, and they used it for their own means, if you like. And he says, I'm going to strip away all that. I'm going to bring you into the wilderness. Why into the wilderness? So that everything is stripped away so that it's only him and you. And it comes into a place, the wilderness can be such a beautiful place of emptiness but oneness with him, where you're emptied of everything and filled with him. And I love because he says, I will woo you into the wilderness. He's calling us in 
so that we can come and there's no distractions. And then there's that beautiful bit, no longer will you call me master. You will call me husband. A totally different relationship. A husband and a wife that has that oneness together, that... Um, that, yeah, that just that oneness, that's beautiful. A master and a servant is distant. It's always, you're never quite with that oneness. It's, it's always a fearful relationship almost. But here, he's bringing us into that oneness. And, and it's so beautiful, it really is. And, and Hosea pictures, uh, paints that picture of the oneness that God wants for us. So that... We are one with him, not just for here and there, but continuously, and that we're drawing from it. And that's what Paul knew. Paul knew what that oneness was like. Paul knew what it was to grow and come into all that God had for him. And uh, just so one thing I'd like to say right at the very beginning, too, where he says, bear with me uh, with this little foolishness. I wonder if you've ever thought, if we were to transport Paul 2,000 years ago here, and he was preaching the Sunday. I wonder how excited we would be. We'd be thinking, wow, the great apostle Paul. Go, go, Paul. You know, give it to us. Give us the five points to this and the three steps to this. And, and, and tickle our ears with that and, and see what you can do. And, you know, come on, rock something up. Give us a new message or something. I wonder how many of us would be disappointed Because suddenly he, he's speaking. He doesn't have a huge, he's not basing his preaching on a huge charisma or entertaining us or trying to tickle our ears. But he's speaking about a reality that he's living in. I wonder how many of us would fall asleep. They fell asleep in Paul's message. <laughs> I wonder how many of us would be offended. Because of what he said is, is, oh gosh, you know, I was hoping for a bit more than this. Gosh, he's a bit dry. He's a bit... See, we, 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 we paint these people as, wow, if we were to hear them today, it would be fantastic. But in actual fact, the message that's being preached is actually what's being preached in here about the bride of Christ. There's nothing, no different. We're not trying to put on an act. We're not trying to rock something up or anything like that. It's the truth that has to be preached. And so Paul was speaking forth, and he was speaking forth something, and he was saying, hey, I've got to say something, and I want you to hear something. Can you hear it? Even though it sounds foolish to the world, can you hear it? So exciting. Definitely. And it just, just reminds me of Jesus, and he says, you know, it's, it's actually to your benefit that I go. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit can't come, and He will lead you into all truth. Hey, you know. So even Jesus Himself, who is God in the flesh, yeah. did not, in His natural ability, have the the capacity to bring even His closest followers into revelation. You know, and so He says, "It's to your benefit that I go, because if I don't, the Holy Spirit won't come." And he's the one who's going to bring to light truth within you, you know? And so if Jesus in the flesh can't, how reliant are we on the Holy Spirit for revelation? Absolutely. But also, what's the opportunity that rests on this moment now that we do have the Holy Spirit, not only to, to receive the correct message, but to receive the reality of this message of the gospel, this marriage covenant in us in a way that changes us. Amen. Hey, you know? And like I think about Paul and how he says, I've... I'm laboring, laboring for you, that Christ would be perfected in you. And so again, Paul, whether he's the father-in-law of the bride, you know, acting as that, it's still outside of the bride, isn't it? In a sense that he knows he can't reveal anything within her, but all he can do is assist and be an assistant or a servant to what is happening in the inside. And again, to, to see himself even as, say, a midwife, in that point of I'm laboring for you, assisting you in the implanting of the word that we heard this morning through Sandra, I pray that the word would be implanted and Paul takes it on himself because he is the bone of the bone, he's the bone of the body that he knows it himself, the process within him, but he labors in love all his life to seeing what is within 
reach its full potential. Christ in us, the hope of glory. But he, he as Christ, it's better for me to be a way that the Holy Spirit would do the work on the inner, that I can't give it to you. It's an inner reality. And he's laboring for the church, hey, you know? And, and the, the context of these scriptures, it's not that he doesn't care about the world, but the context for these scriptures that he's laboring for the church to enter into everything that God has for them, you know? And I think to me, this is what's so powerful about these passages. He says, you know, I'm, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. This is a, this is a letter to the Corinthian church, you know, and similar to the passage you're sharing about with Paul, he's in labor. This is, the, the, once again, you know, these passages are, are directed not to someone out there, but to us. And to me, the question is, you know, well, what, what is he laboring for? What is he deeply, deeply jealous and passionate about and for, you know? Um, there must be something in God's heart for us to enter into that's more than just apathetic, complacent, forgiveness of sin, and then that's it, you know? There, there's something that he's moving us towards that he's passionate about. Eh? And yeah. making his personal duty, right? That's right. That's right. Um, his personal duty to see Christ formed within the body, within the church, that she would carry this demonstrative duty that the whole world, the, the powers and principalities are watching to see this time and this generation, will she come into the full potential? It's no small thing. It's not just a verse, you know, I'm laboring for you. It's like this is what God had in mind before we ever, any of us, ever existed before our generations. On This has been in mind, the, the, the pleasure of God's heart, his kind intention towards us at every stage of redemption. Yeah. And I think it can be, you know, in, in these scriptures we see that Paul is laboring, you know, and, and Jesus labored. But it can be so easy to, like, well, without knowing what we're called for, we won't know actually the heartbeat that these people are living from, you know? And I just think of Daisy, you know, Daisy's four months old. She's got no comprehension of the labor that Tess had to go through to bring her into the world, you know? But the labor took place before she even had the ability to comprehend that 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 she was for her and that she was being brought forth, you know? And it's when the revelation of that, when the revelation of love hits your heart to know that you've actually been loved from the beginning, you just didn't know it, you know? You, and because you didn't know it, you were living as a, as a you had a master-slave relationship that Chris is referring to. You like the, the guy in Galatians 4 who is a son but lives as a slave because he's immature, you know? And so to me, it's like when you... This, this is not about Paul. This is about us knowing the heart of love that's for us, that's being demonstrated through Paul. Because if we were to just know through revelation how for us God was, and the marriage covenant that he has for us, we would be in awe and we would lay down our lives as a living sacrifice, you know? This is what mercy does, eh? It, it changes you. But if you don't know that, that you've received mercy, you'll live as though you haven't, you know? And this is the power of revelation to unlock the potential that always existed in you when you became a Christian. But when you became a Christian, did you know that you had been betrothed to one husband? And does your life reflect being prepared as a pure, spotless virgin made ready for him? Like these are not hypothetical questions, and we're not just talking about Paul's life. We're talking about us. We're talking about you. Do you know what it means to be made ready? Are you being prepared? Do you see the marriage covenant that he made for you? And is your life now aligned in everything that you do to being prepared as a spotless, blameless bride? To me, this is where the rubber hits the road, eh? It's not theoretical. It's real and actual. And this is why Jesus had to go and send the Holy Spirit because even Jesus and his good and awesome teaching couldn't produce change in us through revelation, you know. But we've received the Holy Spirit to be able to do this deep and powerful work that brings us not just an intellectual knowledge of God's plan, but into it actually and in reality, yeah.
It's interesting, eh, that um, in the last chapter of Luke, um, that uh, Jesus rises from the dead and he stands before his apostles and they're going, <gasps> you know, they're freaking out. And he says, well, give me a piece of fish and I'll prove to you that I, I'm, I'm here. And, and then he says, it says that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So he opened them like that. And one would think, well, that was enough. Surely that just that bit of revelation is enough. Surely that would be fine. You know, we can go off and live on that. But then he goes on and says, but you wait for the power on high. It's going to be poured out for you. So we not only need revelation, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to live out what we've been called to come into. Because otherwise we can get revelation and we can try in our own strength to live out something and we can't do it. It has to be through his power to be able to do it. And Jesus knew that they needed the Holy Spirit so they could live out what had been promised for them. So it's so powerful. I think, you know, like we talk about Paul being in labor, Christ being in labor. <laughs> but when we, when we know the implanted word and the reality of Christ within us today, what happens is we recognize those who are in labor for us, before us, within this body. Every time one of them, and it's not just in the front, it, you know, it's not just those who are speaking from the front. Can we recognize those amongst us who are laboring on our behalf, laboring to see Christ formed in us? Because that's a today reality. If, if, if we, it, like you say, this is not theoretical. This is not hypothetical. This is not a reality one day. This is, this is a, a penetrating, practical outworking today within the body. Um, so we do. We have the Pauls. We, we have you know, those who are mature and are, um, are know that their duty is to steward and, and be managers of the household. And don't despise that. Eat the food that they present. Grow and be nourished in the care of those who are laboring in love. Pray for them, you know. Um, and I, I just, I really feel like that needs to be said because l let's not just hear about the word, but the word take root in us. Um, and let's become those who labor for one another. Yes. You know, I, I think it can be so easy to think that, it, that the teachers, the people that stand up and share from the pulpit, you know, but, but in Hebrews it says, well, you know, you should, by this time, you should all be teachers, you know, that when Paul was talking about a deep jealousy that he has for the church, that's not just supposed to be Paul. He's demonstrating a heart of selfless love that we're all to have for one another, you know. So to me, the question is, you know, do you labor ahead of knowing that we're, that we're going to be gathering together, you know? Does it cross your mind that maybe we should come together and pray? Do you see what I'm saying? Like it's, it's the it's the little things that are the big things that that reveal actually what what's in us. You know? And it shows that faithfulness is in the little. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's it's the little things that uh, the spirit makes us very aware from the inside out. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's not the big acts. Yeah, it's the little right. and the consistent. Yeah. And it's not just it's not just supposed to be. The elders, do you know what I mean? Like this is this is not an elder, this is not an elder thing to do. Yeah. This is a Christian thing to do. You know what I mean? Like when when Paul talks about this this godly jealousy, we're to have that same heartbeat for each other. You know, and and coming back to what you were saying before, Chris, you know, it says that Paul says, you know, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. You know, but then we see that love is not jealous. First Corinthians, right? Is, is there some sort of mega contradiction? <laughs> Love isn't jealous, but I'm jealous for you, you know? And, and you can see here the dynamic tension in these two things that Paul doesn't say I'm jealous for you. Uh, sorry, he doesn't say I'm jealous of you. I'm jealous for you, you know? And so often jealousy in this context can be jealousy for a position or jealousy for recognition. Or maybe Paul... Is he saying, I'm, I'm jealous that the church would grow, that we'd have more bums on seats, that this thing would be pumping, cranking, that, you know? He's not, he's not jealous for anything that is directed towards him for his own self-gain, for his ministry to be cranking, right? You know, 
He's, he's not jealous of them. He's not looking for something from them. In fact, he actually says to the other apostles that actually they gave nothing to him. Is that not crazy? Peter, James, John, he says that, that there was nothing that they, that they gave to him because he had received revelation not through man, but through the Holy Spirit, you know? And if so Peter, James, and John couldn't even add to him, why is he, of course, he's not looking for other people to complete him, right? He's, he's not jealous of, he's jealous for because he's received revelation himself that set him ablaze, and he's jealous for the church that they would enter into and taste what it is that he's received, hey, you know? And it's that same jealousy that we're to have for one another, hey, you know? So, In fact, it says the whole of creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God. You know, everything that God is doing there's a, a passion and a desire to bring us into everything that we are, we've been called to be. There's a whole crowd of witnesses cheering us on. Are we aware of any of this? Are we aware that um, uh, there is that laboring going on, or are we aware that there is that groaning in creation? <coughs> God has set so many things in motion for us to come into, and it's there. But we can become so unaware of what God is doing, and we can miss it because we're sitting back doing nothing or thinking, oh, well, it's, it's too hard or it's too this or too that. But actually, God is actually saying, I want to woo you into it. I want to bring you into everything. Are we prepared to let go of everything else to come into it? <coughs> cool. All right, well, that brings us to our second question. <laughs> well done, Greg. <laughs> someone, someone's got to take on the mantle, eh? Well, he's away. <laughs> Question number two. What does it mean to be and become a pure virgin? Can you testify of this transforming work in your life? What does it mean to be or become a pure virgin? Do you want to kick us off, Chris? It's the the transformation work that happens on the inside that only Christ can do. You've heard of virgin olive oil, you know, pure virgin olive oil they sell there. They've they've got rid of all the imperfections in there, and they've they've got it so that it's it's pure oil. And it's the same thing with what God wants to do in us. When Esther was preparing to be to meet her king, she took they took three years to prepare her. You know, so there's a preparation that goes on. It's the bride getting ready for what is to come. I don't know whether you know that uh, in uh, days gone by, the aristocracy, when they prepared their um, uh, young daughters, if you were of noble or arist- you know, noble class, um, you prepared your daughter for when she came to, into maturity, she would be presented in court. And hopefully there would be a suitor or a, one person of a dukedom or, a, or a, a lord or somebody rather of rank that she would be able to marry. And it was, you see them, all, they act this all out in a lot of the dramas you see in the UK and things like that. But that was the living reality. The daughter wasn't being brought up to be lord of the manor. She was being brought up to be a bride for a husband-to-be. And so that she spent all her years training as that, so that when she was presented, she was at a mature age, being presented before the king or the queen or whatever, before the court, and so that they would be drawn in, and the suitors would have a lot to see. So there was a time of preparation, and that time of preparation is now for us. We have to realize that, you know, as the pure as the virgins, the five were foolish and five were wise. The five wise were preparing their hearts. We're getting ready. We're really seeking God. We're really being allow, allowing God to transform them from the inside out. This is such a powerful message, eh? Because I remember when I'd been a Christian for almost 30 odd years and I knew all the tricks in the book. We'd been taught the five steps to this and the three steps to that. I'd been to, I don't know how many conferences in my life to find out about this, 
um, ministry and that ministry and this and that and things like this. And so I used to, when I came to The Rock, I thought, well, I've got something to add to this place. I've got something here. And then suddenly God takes me and uproots everything and shows me, actually, I know very little. And that was very humbling. And yet I'm glad he did. Not that everything was rubbish, but so much of my life in Christ was based on what I was doing, on man's methods. But it was his love that turned me around. And it's his love that transforms and changes us. Suddenly I'm coming into a place of realizing, actually, I can't do this. Because suddenly I'm confronted with a message that I wasn't living or able to live out. And that's, that's the bottom line. Can you live out what is being preached or what you're actually speaking? I've given a lot of sermons in my time. But looking back, a lot of it was knowledge. Now, head knowledge can do nothing. It can't transform you or change you. So here I am being confronted, and it was pretty hard. And my reaction was I wanted to run. I didn't want to, I mean, I wanted to go somewhere that was easier, where I knew where all the, the different formulas were and things like that. But then I got sick. I got ill. And the formulas that I had in the past didn't work. And no matter how much I tried, it just didn't work. And I got to a point where I got to God and cried out and said, God, I can't do this. And that was the best day of my life. Because then he was able to do it. He filled me with such love. I remember writhing on that bed in pain. And I cried out like I never cried out before. And his love swamped over me over and over and over. Now the pain never left, but I was filled with peace. And I was at rest. Suddenly he was doing something in me that I couldn't do. And from that time onwards, my life has been different. And suddenly I've been able to see what is being preached in this place about the inward transformation, about the bride of Christ, about all these different inheritances and promises that God has given us that's accessible through him that I was missing out on. And my, I could have let my pride take me out of that. But I had to humble myself and say, God, I need you. And it's the best thing I've done. Have I come into all of it? No, I've just come into such a small, tiny bit of it. But I've seen something that I, when I look back, I think, what rubbish my life was. Now I'm grasping something that God has for me. And we're all on this journey together, and it's the one most wonderful thing. The last five years in this place has really changed me. And it's because there's been people around me that are living that life out. They are a living demonstration. They're not just preaching it, they're living it. It makes such a huge difference. I want to be part of that church. I want to be part of what God is doing. So I thank you for the time that God's been, you know, so his grace and his love that he says, you know, I don't worry about those 29 years or whatever it was that I had. They were good years as well, but... I'm entering into something that's far greater. And his, his love's being outpoured upon me to be able to come into this. I run to him, not away from him now. And that's what I want to do because his love is wooing me and drawing me. That's awesome, man. And I love that it's not a matter of age eh? or how long you've been part of this, you know. It's funny in our well group, you know, one of the one of the guys was sharing, he's the same age as me, about 30, you know, and, and he's just sharing how he feels like because, you know, he's been alive for so long and he's only just discovering this and we look around and everyone else in the group is like 60s, you know. <laughs> so probably the wrong crowd, you know. <laughs> But really, it's, it's not a matter of age or life stage or how the length of time that you've been here. It's a matter of revelation, right? You know, that, that God is so faithful in one moment of revelation can unlock what 30 years of study and striving and effort can't even achieve, hey, you know? And so the, the opportunity is here for all of us while we still breathe, regardless of, of where we're at 
But the question is, are, are we going to lay hold of what it is that we've been laid hold for? Because you can be 60 years in the faith and not, or you can be one year and you do, or vice versa. You know, you can be a, a new Christian and be all on fire, but the, the root doesn't go deep and that only lasts for a short time. Or you can be someone who's been a Christian for many years and then in their old age receive a revelation that, that unlocks heaven to you, eh? And all of a sudden you're on fire and it doesn't matter that the last however many years haven't been, what matters is that now you have, you know? And, and so... It is the opportunities there for all of us, eh? I don't think there's any time in love. There's only intention. And if we can grasp the degree and the quality of his intention in a moment, (laughs) radical. And I, 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 oh, you go. Where are you going to go? Uh, (laughs) I was just... Oh, no, I've missed it. <laughs> I'll come back. It was just a small comment. I was just going to say, maybe that, maybe that time was all about God preparing you for the point where finally you, you broke, and you let go of you, and for the first time laid hold of him. That time's not wasted. It's actually fulfilled. Is that what I say? So, yeah. Never get discouraged, eh? Never get discouraged. If you feel that you can't do this, that's exactly where God wants you to be. But you've got to be able to press onto him and not run away from him. Because it's, it's not a point of doing nothing. It's actually a point of surrendering to him and seeking him. Because he does want all the best for you. I, I don't know whether you've ever read the number of times... Uh, Paul talks about how, sorry, how actually the psalmist and and right throughout the Bible about God has thoughts towards you. Really good thoughts. Psalm 139, 17. How precious are also your thoughts toward me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they should outnumber the sand. And when I awake, I I am still within you. And it goes on. You look up the number of scriptures about God's thoughts toward you. If you grasp just one of those thoughts, I wonder how much it would change you. It's so powerful. I think that's, that's the power of revelation, eh? Is that it unlocks what always was, but we didn't know, so that we can live in it, eh? You know? Um, was there anything that you wanted to share on our yeah, question? Yeah, I thought Chris... Becoming you, a pure virgin? Yeah, I think, Chris, you sharing about love and how love invaded your heart and it changes everything from the inside out. And I I so agree with that. You know, it's like um, in Timothy, it says, now the purpose of the commandment is love. <laughs> but it, it's not just like love. It's like love from... A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And sincerity talks about a purity that's tested by sunlight. (laughs) And when we live in the light of Christ, we're living in the sunlight. And we the Christ in us gives us it's that pure heart clean conscience, and a sincere faith, a faith that isn't needing to perform, a faith that doesn't care for looking good on the outside. It's, it's a sincere faith and a pure heart and a clean conscience that, that when, when sinning, if, you know, it says be perfect as your father is perfect, um, and we know we're not completely sin-free, and it says, you know, when you sin, but it's like we're not characterized by sin anymore because we have Christ in us. So we're not continuing in sin. And in fact, because we have the Holy Spirit, the pure, divine, eternal, heavenly Spirit that lives in us, it now crosses out. It is quick, the Spirit is quick to convict, convict the heart, to, to uh, cross the conscience, and to call out the insincerity, the hypocrisy. And I think this is part of being purified, is paying the 
the most attention and assisting to Christ in us, the purity within us, the love that's within us. Um, and, and again, I think it's that co-laboring with the Spirit and the inner reality that, that the Christ in us is expanding and increasing and that from the inside out, it's, it's penetrating out. I was, um, I don't want to... <laughs> go way off but I watched the Oprah interview <laughs> did anyone watch it just admit it right now put your hands up no okay just me okay <laughs> but only it, one in the room yeah just the only one in the room all right so um what what was interesting with these interviews is you have you know you have people that are experts in body language and experts in the uh, signaling of communication. So without words, demonstrating maybe a thought that is very opposite to what is said. And I was thinking about, you know, this pure bride that is before Christ where we are being purified every day will actually have an impact that without words, our whole body, our whole existence is in agreement to Christ in us. And that if we ever had an expert outside listening in, that he would see a he or she would see a complete union in heart, thought, and word. Um, and to me, I think that's what the purified bride looks like. And I know I can, you know, I can testify to that growth from the inside out, where um, you know there are a part of. The testimony, I guess, there was a time when, um, hold on, I'll just, I'll, I'll just go back. When it, in Timothy, where it says about the sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things in which they affirm. Okay, now that is a big marker of hypocrisy. So acting and mass comes from the word hypocrisy where you're doing one thing but you're saying another or you're thinking one thing but you're doing another thing and it's this performance to look good on the outside but miss what's on the inside. Um, and and even before that it says, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is the internal strengthening of Christ within us, which is in faith. And there was a, a time when um, th there was some teaching that came up that uh, there was beautiful truth in it and it was new to my ears. It was new to my understanding. And so there was a curiosity within me to to take hold of what I was hearing. But what I found was the more I sort of started feeding off some of the stuff that was being said, I noticed in my own heart it started to harden. I noticed that I started becoming critical in my thinking. I started, um, things within me was starting to move away from the pure devotion and purity to Christ, the singleness that started so simple, so pure, so powerful, the gospel that saved me from the beginning, which Paul talks about. Have you forgotten the way you heard the word in faith, not by works? And at one day, the Lord called me home, and he, I got on my knees, and he said, you have left your first love, repent. And it was like a fire went through me. And it's like I was desperate for the purity and the singleness and the wholehearted devotion that I knew. And I had got caught up in the fables, the genealogies, the law, and the sense of um, <laughs> it, it just wasn't what he had. It, it, it's like I had betrayed the revealing, the work that he wants to do in my heart for what others had to say. And I think that's when you start mixing. Um, it's the quickest way to become lukewarm, guys, is when you start taking the opinions of man and calling it revelation. Uh, I guess... 
that just reminds me of what Paul says later on, you know, and, and, and he says, you know, you're so quick talking to the Corinthian church, you know, to accept another gospel, you know, that you would bear beautifully, you know, you're more welcoming of the false gospel than you are of the true, you know, because it does tickle the ears or, or draw in and, you know, and I think, you know, I think that's, that's beautiful, Mel, because it's what he's saying, you know, he's, he's calling the church to come back to the simplicity of devotion to Christ, hey, you know, that that what what you would receive through revelation would, you, you would live not from what you've heard that you should do, but what you know to do because he's put it in you through through his spirit, you know, and to me that's, there's no, there's no distinction between what you say and what you do, you know, your life lived as an expression of the God that you know, hey, you know. And a wholehearted, single devotion. When I say wholehearted, your whole being, holistic, from the inside out, heart, thoughts, mind, soul, all completely aligned. Yeah. And I think that, and that's the purity, right? You know, and I think, you know, he says, you know, jealous for you with the godly jealousy that betrothed to one husband that I might present you as a pure virgin, you know. And I think in, in the world, virginity is something that you lose, but in the spirit, virginity is something that you gain through the transforming power of the gospel, you know, that that we're not talking, you know, we're not born as pure virgins spiritually. Hear, hear what I'm saying, I'm not talking about physical at all, you know, I'm talking about spiritual, you know, that he says that if you're a friend of the world, you're actually an adulteress, you know, that if you have other lovers in your heart, you are a spiritual adulteress. Why? Because you've been betrothed to one husband, but you're living as if you have many husbands, you know, and so friendship, he says, with the world is adultery towards God, and so this is the the beautiful life-transforming power of the gospel is that it takes you from being an adulteress to being a pure virgin, you know, and that the transforming power lightens every dark area of our hearts and it purifies us from the inside out, not because we're doing right things, but because we've received revelation on the inside that's changed us. So now all of a sudden we can live and, and live out of the covenant that he's made with us, eh? you know? And so we can't live as a pure virgin unless the Holy Spirit is doing this transforming work in us, preparing us as a bride that's made ready for the bridegroom, you know? So, and to me, this is what's so hopeful, you know, this is why it's so, the gospel is so filled with hope because it has nothing to do with your physical past, you know? It has nothing to do with anything physical at all. But it's got everything to do with the spiritual, supernatural work that he wants to do in us, you know, that completely regardless of your past, if you enter into the gospel and his transforming work is, you know, is taking place within you, you can become a pure virgin that, do you see what I'm saying? You know, we're com it's com a completely dividing line between what's natural and earthly and what's spiritual, you know. But we have to, like you were saying, Chris, before, submit to this process of transformation where everything in us that's opposed to him or that loves other things is uprooted and we receive his transforming power in us. Yeah. It's interesting. I just love how everything to do with God is back to front to our thinking, isn't it? And yet it's the right way up. And what, what <laughs> Sam was just sharing there about uh, being a virgin in the spirit, you know, it's, it's always different. You know, this talks about the, you know, the barren woman being having more children than the, uh, you know, everything is different. And that's because it's all in the spiritual realm. And we've got to be able to see and understand from that spiritual realm. What I love about um, this whole process is that is God's love does change us and break us. And I, and I remember when I first got saved, I was only 19 years old, and it was his love that changed me. And, and I got slain in the spirit, and I was down on the ground, and I didn't know what slain in the spirit was because I'd never known that. I'd never seen it before. But I got knocked by the power of God, and I remember his love washing over me over and over again. I got up off that floor a different person from one that um, was totally and radically changed. And I couldn't stop sharing about what God had done in me. Now, I was somebody that didn't say boo to anybody. 
And I think afterwards, a lot of people thought it would have been better if he'd stayed quiet. <laughs> but for the first couple of years, two or three years, it was incredible. I had such life and such freedom, and I was just living out of what was bubbling out of me. I didn't really know the word very much at that stage, but it was a growing thing at that time. But the older that I got into the Lord, suddenly, you know, we were told we had to do this and we did that. No, no, it was this way. And it was rules and regulations and formulas and everything else like that. And it lost the the love aspect. And suddenly my heart became more hardened, if you like, because man's ways were trying to repl- re- re- you know, reproduce what God can only do. And it wasn't until all those years later, even though I had some good times in that th- those times, it wasn't until his love broke through. And I, what I love about his love breaking through when I was, you know, five years ago particularly, is the gentleness of that love. And suddenly I saw how hypocrisy I was, full of hypocrisy, full of self-righteousness, judging people and all sorts of things like that. Things you never thought were there. But suddenly when you're filled with his love, you see from a totally different angle. Because suddenly you've got his love in you. You're suddenly loving people that you never thought you'd ever love because something's happened in here. This is the transformation work. So for me, it was his love that really did something very powerful in here. And uh, yeah, it's just such an amazing journey that God is calling us all onto to be part of. I guess, you know, following on from that uh, third question, and we might just do this in five minutes because it's getting on um it says what what are the consequences of being led astray from the simplicity of devotion to christ and i think chris you you touched on that you know that you know that having received this beautiful encounter that that there was you know the potential to be led astray not from being a christian but actually from this dynamic life-giving um, you know, abiding relationship in Christ. Hey? So what do you guys think the consequences are of, of you know, not living from this simplicity in Christ mm-hmm. or being led astray from? Um, just very quickly, I've had, over the years, quite a bit of pressure put on me because of my uh, Jewish background. Um, not that I'm full Jewish or anything like that, but... People have often said to me, why aren't you going into all the Jewish traditions and all the Jewish things and things like that? And, and some of it I do know and things like that. Some have been taught in that. But there was that awful pressure of having to try and study and to, to grow in it. And every time I tried to, the Holy Spirit would say, no, I don't want you to go down that path. And although there's so much wonderful stuff in it, there's no life in it unless it's a life-changing work in here. And we can get carried away and caught up in all those different things, and we can miss it. And I was very tempted a number of times to actually go down that path. And I just didn't want to, and then I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, no, pursue me, because knowledge does nothing in here. And I've had 29 years of a whole lot of knowledge, and it doesn't change you. Um. Yeah, I think the consequences of missing the pure single devotion to Christ, that's the question, isn't it? Or hearing of another gospel. I think it it literally causes an internal struggle in us and a duplicity where we're constantly one or the other, or we're being tossed to and fro, and everything we hear from the outside, we don't know whether to believe, we're not sure of our convictions. If someone asked us a hundred questions in one go, why do you believe what you believe? I actually don't know. Is it because I've always done this? Have I always just come to a service on a Sunday? Is it because I've been told that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? It's just not going to cut it. And you're going to always live confused. And you're always going to live compartmentalizing your life. This part of my life's going great. This is not so much. I need to work on each thing. And you divide it up. 
And guys, this is the truth. Dividing your life up will cause you anxiety. It's, it's, it, is so, it is foundational to anxiety and worry. It's to divide your life up because you don't trust that the one where all life that is contained who promises us through his promises that everything pertaining to life and godliness is found in the Christ. And if <laughs> it's the union with Christ within us, that creates a oneness, a single-heartedness, a wholeness, a direction, a purpose where you know your life is about being loved and loving and demonstrating something that I am, like I said, the bone of his bone. I'm not separate. I'm not an individual. I'm actually interdependent on this one who is the source of my life. And I now want, I desire to see as he sees, to live as he does, to speak as he would. Um, it's the union life that we're called for and the oneness. Um, <laughs> so anything other than that will, will cause great struggle and within us. And um, that will reflect in our lives. You know, Jesus says, if your eye is single, your whole body is filled with That's light, it. you know. But if your eye, if, but if it isn't, your whole body is filled with darkness. Yeah. And how great is that darkness? You That's know? It. And, and, and to me, that is what, what you're describing, you know. If, you're, if your eye is single, if your heart is set, you know, um, then your whole body, and a realm is filled with light and life and truth, eh, yes. you know? But if you're living for multiple different things and yes. God is just the part of your life, he's not your life, you yes. know? Actually, the yes. darkness in you is a great darkness and leads to, like you said, the fruit Sorry. of it is anxiety, you yes. know? And, and worry and stress because you've got to keep all the different plates and all the different areas spinning, spinning you know? Keep all the different people happy, you know, as opposed to being a bond servant who actually doesn't live for for man but for God. Eh? <laughs> you know? and, so. and this is the posture, you know, instead of spinning plates, we are the very one who is encompassing and encircling the one. If we think of Revelation and the, you know, the creatures just encircling that throne. And the Lord says, I'm doing a new thing, that woman will encompass man that a bride would know that singular one, that her whole life is revolving around this central core, the life of her being, is a very different way of living than spinning plates and trying to care for the thoughts of others. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, cool. So it's it's, it's midday. Um, we've got time probably for if there's anyone that has a burning question, can do one question. Otherwise, we'll we'll, we'll call it an end of prayer. Does anyone have a burning question? If not, we'll, we'll call it call it a day. No, that's cool. All right, you want to pray for us, Mel? Father, I just want to thank you for how great you are. And I want to thank you, Father, that you are so dedicated and committed to us. I want to thank you for this morning that you, you revealed yourself to us, to our hearts, that you made yourself known in this room and in this house. And I thank you that you start with the hearts and the house of your people, that redemption starts in the hearts and the house of your people that you cleanse the home of the hearts and the house of your people before it ever reaches the world. Father, I pray we would be a people that accommodate your presence in our hearts, that we would make, arrange our hearts and prepare our hearts for your presence and your dwelling and your abiding space. I pray that as your people, we would prioritize you, cherish you, treat you as precious, treat you as the life of our beings, that we live and move and exist in you, in you alone. Father, I thank you for the work you are doing. You are reconciling us into one. 
one body. I thank you. I thank you for the apostolic, beautiful, sent prayer this morning through uh, this man this morning about the bones, that we are the bone. Each one of us is the bone of the body. If we would know, if it would be revealed that you see us as the bones of your body, the bone of your bone, the flesh of your flesh, Father, I pray that you would reconcile, that you would bring us all together as one from the inner man, from the innermost being, that you would connect the sinews, that you would sanctify the sinews and add the flesh. Father, that, that everything would be integrated, the integrity of oneness from the inside out. That we would live and move in a single-hearted, pure devotion towards you. We love you and we bless you and I thank you that you are the perfect father of this household and the privilege it is to be raised in your household, the care you take in parenting and raising your children up. May we never look anywhere else to be grown. May we never look anywhere else to learn from, but come to you as the teacher, the father, the lover of our souls. We bless you, Father. And I thank you for this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.